And I'm Lindsay. And this is episode 11 of Ningyo Bingo. Where you keep collecting dolls, but never seem to win the game. Uh, if you're listening to this, that means that you are in the month of February, and it is, ideally, if all things go well, February 1st, which means it is officially in this date, which is the future date as opposed to the recording date, my birthday! Oh, that's right! I forgot about that! Wait, no, I didn't forget. No, I don't forget when your birthday is, because coincidentally, it is not just Rebecca's birthday in February. No, no, it is not. It's also Lindsay's a little later, but not too soon after, because you're an Aquarius too, right? That's right. I am the water bearer that is an air sign, which never made any sense to me particularly. Yeah, no, I don't But I suppose... That. Yeah. <laughs> The way people sort of cast Aquarians, I guess it kind of makes sense that there is a deep and flawed essential <laughs> assumption in the middle of all of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, wasn't there a line of limited dolls that were based on the Zodiac? Oh, goodness. Didn't Zoom do that at one point? I think it was Zoom. I could Usually, be wrong. I mean, we can assume ah! that. We oh, can assume ow. most of the time if there was a really artistic, like, series of dolls, and if we're remembering it from several years ago, it is most likely going to be soon. Probably. Probably. Um, so, I actually worked on all these notes while I was in an airport in the Bahamas. Now that's just not fair. Well, yes and no. <laughs> Thankfully, I have an, a, a, enough of a, a European descent in me that I have actually spent a week in a sonnet, and I actually look like Volk's sunlight skin. So, so that is a good thing. You've heard it from us, folks. Sunlight skin is a real color that real people are. Yeah, I mean, funnily enough... You just have to bake them for a while, apparently. <laughs> yeah, well, um, my, my skin is just like a... Uh, it's a. It looks a little olivey and stuff, which which works. Yeah, works pretty well. But it, like, I don't know. Um, Regardless, you probably had a nice time, and that's a nice way to to pass an airport waiting period. Yeah, I just I, I got on their free internet that I had to give up my Facebook information for. <laughs> and, oh God. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I heard this ridiculous song while I was there uh, about internet safety and uh, internet bullies. Uh, it was pretty, pretty amazing. Um, I'll show you I'm that really later. impressed. Yeah. So yeah. while you were sitting in the Bahamas, how was that trip anyway? Oh, it was really, really, it was a bit of good and good of bad. Um, like... <laughs> Like any aspect of any part of the world, to the good there is the bad. All the parts that are for tourism are highly developed, and anything that's not for tourism is not. Um, most that's of the... what I hear. Yeah. There is a distinct, I mean, there is a whole issue to go into there, but I'm sure it was beautiful while you were there. Yeah, I mean, it was really great. Like, um, there was one storm, but even their storms are not that frightening it was more scary when i was in a in florida and got stuck down there for an extra day or two oh goodness i've heard that they are serious about storms in florida not only do you get the hurricanes which are like some intense stuff because you're on a peninsula but then you have like the regular 
it's a thunderstorm season. Let's just thunderstorm all the time. Yeah, but their thunderstorms are like here this minute and gone in the next 10. However, what got me stuck down there for an extra two days was uh, Hurricane Matthew, which is, you know, understandable. Anyway, let's go back to that beautiful segue we missed, which would be my... uh... (laughs) I'm so sorry. I always... See, guys, Becca really does think very hard about how to smoothly move us through this small introduction we're about to do into exactly what we're actually going to talk about. And I have this very mystical property of missing completely the cue that she's giving me, so I just sort of start rambling at her anyway. So every time we go for a really smooth transition that was going to be great and planned, I ruin it, which ends up with us abruptly saying... So, we were going to talk about something, and now we're going to let you know what that is. So, so we were talking briefly about skin tones, <laughs> and um, it, it's kind of cool when your skin tone matches your doll, but what happens when it you... It is nice to have that happen, though it doesn't happen enough because of reasons of... Yeah. Lots of reasons, but I've been so happy to see a much wider range coming in from one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum lately. But, uh, but dolls don't always come in the skin tone that you want. And they don't always yeah. come with the uh, shape that you want. And they don't always come with maybe the fantasy features that you want talking about soon. Uh, so this episode, episode 11, is Beyond the Face-Up, Working with Resin. Um, so you have a doll. It's neat it's beautiful it's what one might call mint it might have a default face up or it might be completely bare from the manufacturer but it's not to your vision you have options yay and some of these options range from a very basic level customization such as doing especially if it's an additional customization it's usually a bit easier to approach there's small things you can do to help things um to adjust the way things look to to shave down the shape of a nose or to attach magnets for instance inside the body we can start from the very low level and go to a very very far distant level where you're basically reshaping the doll entirely using the bare bones of the sculpt that you have in front of you (laughs) and between those two ends there's so much that you can do that there's so many options for what you can try to do. And what's exciting about this hobby is because we do come from this history of deep customization and the urge to do that, that a lot of people have already tried a million different things in very different ways, from changing the color of the resin to doing additive mods to get finding ways to make parts from other dolls work with other dolls that are just really incredible and always really impress me. Yeah, so it, it it's it's good. There's so much information out here. Even what we say today is only going to brush the surface of it. Um, yeah, so we're going to have to be pretty narrow about what we're talking about right now because there's so much depth. So what we're going to touch on today is definitely just the tip of the iceberg. And, and I'm basically kind of cover the the we're going to try to cover the most uh, prevalent uh, modifications uh, and uh, what also is might be prevalent in prevalent prevalent cool sorry you gotta get a run it's one of those words where you have to get a running start to make it all the way through yeah no i just pronounce words wrong all the time um (laughs) that's okay so alternative 
Dialects are fine. That's not an alternative dialect. That's just me not hearing words. Just me guessing how they're pronounced from a page. Um, so a lot of the things that are more common today for modifications are were less common back uh, when the hobby kind of was in back its infancy. Back in the day? Yeah. Um, <laughs> back in the day, like we, we were talking in the Volks episode, you were starting from garage kits. So things like... Uh, uh, sanding things down and like finishing out things, uh, those were fairly common, but uh, usually it was just kind of finishing the kit though. Nowadays, people Exa- like as an addendum to that, if some people might not realize that where Anoa originally comes from as a company is that when you bought an Anoa doll, it was in completely in parts. And it wasn't necessarily even finished parts. You still had something called sprues on the pieces of resin. Oh, wow. Which are um, basically the channels used to pour the resin into the mold, which otherwise, I mean, if you didn't have those, there would be no way to get inside the mold with the liquid. If you built a Gundam model kit, you are familiar with sprues. Yeah. Exactly. And that was just assumed as a part of that side hobbyist... um, sort of side company to what Volks was doing at the time. Yeah. Volks being a finisher, like being so intent on finishing so completely and giving you such a complete progress product product even was a fairly like I wouldn't say revolutionary as uh now I'm thinking about it was fairly unusual. It's kind of what they rotated themselves into. Uh even their basic dolls only came with a very very basic face up, the eyes, the hair and the underwear, but then their kind of second round of basic models was their mini super doll fees in a way, and those came as kits um to be painted, to be finished. Uh no sprues because it's a uh, resin, but same well, not to say it's a larger resin piece, so they they clip those off for you. Um yeah. if they had any. Um so I always think of dolls, they're almost like a collaborative art piece where everybody's making oh, a little absolutely. piece and then you're kind of like the editor, which is putting all the pieces together into the final magazine or doll or whatever like that. But sometimes all the pieces that are available or available within your means don't finish your, don't make your finished vision complete. And then you have to I'm- mod. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I do recall very early on in the hobby, we had very few alternative options to your standard human, so to speak. Yes. And the aesthetics of what we had weren't superbly diverse initially. No. So early on, the um, ability to get your hands on horns or different ears or different sort of fantastical aesthetics was extraordinarily limited and anyone who wanted any sort of bringing that into what they were trying to make had to basically do it from scratch or on their own terms or through actually i believe the best term would be kit bashing yes kit bashing um people fairly often uh mixed legs and arms to change the height of a doll, usually just the legs, um, because they wanted their their couples to be a certain height when standing next to each other. Um, that that was the most basic form of kit bashing. Of course, there's also uh, just a, a different body to a different head, which is much more common because uh, 
some bodies, for example, Volk's bodies are much more were much more expensive uh, to purchase than, let's say, a doll zone or other sort of basic body, which the company's actually allowed to be purchased separately. So exactly, yeah, it led to a lot of kit bashing. Um, we'll get into some of the things you can get to make your kit bashing match in a little later. But first, we're going to start with talking about subtractive modifications or subtractive mods. Um, and as you might imagine, this means we're taking talking taking we're taking mods from you for ourselves. We are talking about mods that are removing resin from the doll. Yes, something is being taken away. So examples of this are opening eyes for closed or partially closed eyes. Suarico legs, so legs that are able to be splayed outwards at the hip. Uh, so quite simply, removing seams for finishing your doll a little nicer. My uh, poor little Maya still needs some of that done. I'm nervous because she's sunlight skin. Uh, sometimes when you and do also, that, don't you have a UV coating on her? I don't. Not on the body. Oh, good. Because then that wouldn't be... Well, we're going to get into what that all, what I just said and what that means. Yes, but sometimes <laughs> when you have a lighter... I'm sorry. Sometimes when you have a more pigmented resin, if you remove the seams, they will look like they are a lighter color, especially if it's been yellowed over time. Because as you get down further, it's less... It's more far away from where that UV was reacting with the resin. Um, anyway... Exactly. Um, there's also, and as an addendum to that, if you have a doll with a, a tone that is darker than your sort of basic cream, sometimes the way that they achieve the smooth pigmentation of the surface, because of reasons we may get into today, we may have to save that for a later podcast because it'll take a while to explain, um, only the outer, it's like a candy-coated candy, only the outer shell actually has the full pigment, and if you start to... Um, do subtractive modifications on a doll of that type, you're going through the pigmented layer and you'll find essentially a creamy center. Melts in your mouth, not in your hand? M&M's. We'll go with that. I'll take that. <laughs> I will take the M&M reference. All right. Um, so <laughs> continuing along my list of uh, what used to be common one, uh, vampire teeth. Uh, people used to do subtractive modification, uh, taking away bits of the lip uh, leaving only the vampire t teeth remaining, opening up the lips slightly. Uh, similarly, people modded lips open to show a little bit of the teeth uh, showing between the lips for a kind of cute look. Um, very common, pierced ears. And what used yeah. to be some of the most drastic modifications I used to see when I joined the hobby circa, what, 2006? seven six i can't remember um, sometime around there yeah which is uh male to female in which you would uh remove the um remove the genitalia so that you, <laughs> Did you all have... catch that long pause as becca was trying to formulate the best way to explain yes i did um, <laughs> you can also take a female uh body and let's say 
those knockers are a little knocking too much, you can change your cup size as well. <laughs> if your knockers are knocking too hard, you can just sand them right on down. Yeah. Um, if only that worked in real life. So much cheaper than plastic surgery or whatever. Oh my goodness, I know. Reductive um, surgery. Ain't no shame. That puts a lot of pressure on your spine. <laughs> <laughs> I know for me in particular, the aesthetic that I prefer tends to be... A bit more masculine for a female designated doll, and oh. I've, I've always been really excited by the gender switching additive mods where you go from male to female because then you can get the nice broad shoulders. And for a while, the boys have better articulation than the ladies. Yeah, yeah, they did. Uh, if we're gonna talk about that for a moment, do you want to do you want to do, do a little detour? Little tiny. I love detours. We are only about, let's see, 15 to 18 minutes into the podcast. Let's go on a side trip. All right, Lindsay. (laughs) Bring up a web browser. All right. Now you guys may or may not hear clicking while I'm doing this, or we might be clever enough to edit it out. So I have a web browser open. Let's go. Okay. Eiffel House. Eiffel House. Dot net. Yep. Well, yeah. No, it's it's dot com. Oh, is it? Okay. I thought it was dot net. Um... And on the front page there on the top is a new release. Click on the thing that says E-I-H. E-I-H. Or H-I-D. H-I-D. Oh, the H-I-D Woman Body Renewal. Oh, holy shit. There you go. That's what I wanted everybody to hear. Okay, so um, because this is a podcast, which is not a visual medium... Um, we only have words to walk you through with us. I have um, gotten to the Ipple House website. It is beautifully laid out, as it always is. I've always been very impressed by it. And there's a banner up at the top that says, H.I.D. Woman, bring it on. And I was like, <laughs> H.I.D.? Because H.I.D., because if you're not familiar with Ipple House, they do letter I.D. Letter I.D. I.D. being for Ipple House doll, stand E for, for being some sort of... I know Elder Ipple House uh, doll. Yeah, it's Elder, Senior, Young, Junior, Kid, I, t- I still don't know what H stands for. <laughs> we'll find I don't out know, but I like it because when I opened it up, we are seeing that they're doing a body renewal... Question, I don't know what that means, but smaller chest, very muscular... Like, um, looking at the female doll, Ipple House, which is very voluptuous female um, body types, very strong and athletic male body types, and they've redesigned the sculpting to include a very muscular body yes. with a smaller chest, which actually is... Like, as, you're, as I'm going down the page... And looking at the comparison pictures to, like, their normal sculpting to their other sculpting, this is... They didn't just, like, re-sculpt muscles onto the existing sculpt. No. They re-sculpted the entire chest to better show what it looks like when a woman who has muscle has a chest without the super glamour um, Photoshop style, like, super glamour high model style to it. And I am in love. Yeah, this girl looks like she does Pilates twice a day. <laughs> she looks banging. No, they this, have is this... A, this is someone who looks like she punches people for a job. Yeah, yeah. In fact, on the, uh, uh, about the third clothing limited option for this release down, um, they have her with, um, 
kind of like spyware and you can get a rifle with her, which is kind of <laughs> cool. <laughs> oh my god, Ippelhouse looked into my brain mm. and said, oh, this is something Lindsay wants and just made it. Yeah, no, you know what's even worse? That's compatible with... <laughs> It's compatible with the Karina head. <laughs> oh, don't do this to me. No, I want it so bad. Oh my god, this is so... It's so... I'm now going to... I'm taking a moment to take a look at the... Um, I was looking at the announcement page where they're giving you detailed comparison pictures of the new body, so you can really take a look at it. Oh yeah. And I'm now on the special release page for... Like a special release. This is the sculpted head. This is the, the full set release for like pushing the new body and i'm just amazed and delighted yeah so so Lindsay, are we gonna end up with karina twins i don't know if it'll be karina twins exactly but it <laughs> might be ipple house twins yeah this new body. Wait, I mean, I've always, I like, full disclosure, I have always wanted part of my collection to be one Ipple House doll, because I really love their, what they're doing. Yes, and I think I've already mentioned that Karina lives oh. as my background on my PC, so. The spy yeah. outfit is so good. I know. There's, um, they, one option is like a sort of like, I'm a person who does exercise, and one is a very French spy films feeling sh long skirt, dark purple, brown tones. Oh, they call it reminds like a me Bond of like girl. the nineteen fifties. Yeah, that, when, when you look up the outfit in the clothing section, I think they actually call it Bond Girl. I think as part of the promotion, she, you get rather the, than uh, being Bond Girl, this is just Bond. She has taken Bond's place. <laughs> is the feeling I'm getting from it. And then as you continue to go down, there is sort of a military special forces sniper sniper style outfit as well for her. And I could not be more happy. And to bring it back to what we've been talking about as we're gushing over this new release, and I actually really like the sculpt of the face they have for the new release because she has a stronger nose than they normally give ladies, and I am yes. 100% about that. Cool. Is even when it comes to subtraction modifications and like aesthetics that don't exist, when a demand is displayed, especially now at this stage in the hobby, when they're companies several established companies are now in the stage where they feel like they have to constantly push new angles to get the sales and get the attention of the hobby because there's so much diversity now in variety of style and options that we didn't have like 10 years ago yeah sometimes if you wait long enough it will come yeah, yeah, that's true. But if you're impatient, you can also sit there and very, very, very slowly carve out beautiful, beautiful um, abs into your female doll. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's magnificent. Yes. And that would be a very, that is a subtractive mod. And now, and we're talking about removing resin, which leads to the next thing you really about the logistics and practicality of what goes into making a subtractive mod. Right. First of all, we're going to go over some safety. Yes, safety is extremely important. You are dealing with resin. Resin dust is highly bad for you. Okay. You do not want to breathe it in. You do not want it inside your system. You do especially do not want it inside your lungs. So let's talk about the science of why 
resin dust is toxic. Uh, toxic. Yay! <laughs> I love science. <laughs> so, so it's not that all scientific, but it's kind of cool a little bit. Um, I, I, I use a little bit of this kind of stuff at work, so I have a little bit. Okay, so toxic does not equal poisonous. Uh, most resins, when fully cured, are chemically inert. Um, even though when you get your doll home, it kind of has new resin smell, almost like new car smell, uh, it maybe isn't fully cured yet. But eventually your doll's going to be fully cured. It's not going to have any odor to it. And it's not poisonous to you. It's not giving off fumes. It is toxic. Definition by Medicine Net. Toxic is the degree to which a substance can harm a human or an animal. So... When you're breathing in the resin dust, when you're doing your modifications, either by uh, scraping or sanding, etc., um, what's happening is you're breathing in these little particles of the resin dust. And the resin's decently hard. Um, and when you're breathing it in, it gets into your lungs and it's not a soluble, it's not going to dissolve, so it sits there and it rubs against the soft tissues of your lungs. Um, these things can cause uh, very, very bad reactions. Some people claim they've never had an issue. Uh, it does depend on your, your sensitivity of your lungs, but always there on the, 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 the safety side because you never know when it's going to be you. And it's ranged from, eh, it didn't happen to me, and to somebody, uh, I read a story in a crafting site uh, forum of someone the next day collapsing in the middle of a supermarket. So you, the essential warning here is you do not play games with your health, and you do not play games with your lungs. No. So, so here, here's the scare tactic. Let's go through a list. Uh Iscunate asthma. Uh, this is a weird spelling that I list, but essentially it's an incurable asthma. Your lungs are now scarred. They are now highly sensitive. They will now react to things and make you short of breath. Cancer. I could see this happening because there's foreign bodies in your lungs and your tissues try to scar around it and maybe that continues. Uh, anaphylaxic shock. Your body takes it as foreign matter and reacts very heavily to it. Emphysema, bronchitis, all these things are basically your lungs reacting to foreign bodies in various terrible for you ways. So now that I got you scared, <laughs> this, is <laughs> what you, this is what you do. And the great part about this is that's scary, but the solution that's easy. Yes. For small projects, you want a small disposable mask. Uh, for And it needs to be rated a certain way. Yes. We'll get into the ratings in just a moment. Uh, for a more frequent hobbyist, I'd recommend a respirator with disposable filters so you're not throwing away your, your masks all the time. Uh, it also, if you pitch in for a respirator, you're bound to get a little bit nicer seal on your face. You might even be able to go somewhere where you can try them on and see how that feels. Um, it's important to check to see that it's sealed to your face correctly. Um, so you can like use a little bit of uh, 
tissue paper or toilet paper or something, just kind of breathe in and out, move it around your face and see if it sucks in. If not, you want it a little tighter. On the disposable mask, there's a metal band that goes over your nose. You want to pinch that tight to your nose. Uh, this will also help if you have glasses like me and Lindsay, Lindsay and I, um, because the better <laughs> Lindsay that- and I, me and Lindsay, it's all good. <laughs> the, the better the seal of that mask is to your face, the less your glasses are going to fog up. So you not you know you got a really good seal on the top there when your glasses are not fogging up. Uh, so that'll actually be good. Um, and I can say from personal experience, having tried to wear a mask on that when I might, I happen to have a nose that's fairly shaped in a way that isn't very distinct. So it's very easy for when we, I had to breathe out the fog to go straight into my glasses and I just sort of sit there with the, this is fine face on. Yes. There are several different models and sizes and things of the masks, especially the disposable ones. Um, I'm sure there's a, just the same degree for the, uh, the, the respirator style ones. Um, so just find the one that fits your face the best. Uh, most of them are going to have uh, at minimum two straps. One of those is going to go around the back of your neck. Um, one is going to go kind of above your ear and around kind of the, the, the bottom of the crown of your head. You want both of those straps to be on there and tight and pulling the top and the bottom of that mask flush to your face. And that's how you get a really good seal. And um, just in terms of where you can find these, walk up to Home Depot, walk into Lowe's. These are things that people who do construction or do housework do must have. And you can just walk in, find them. They'll have a lot of different options for you. Yes. Um, you, you're going to be able to get some of the most basic ones because you don't need to uh, work with anything that's oil-based. And you're not going to have to need to really reduce odor that much. There are ones that have carbon infused into the filter or into the mask to help reduce odor. Um, but you're going to look at for something, depending on your, your feeling, that's going to say N95, N99, or N100. Um, so do you know what that stands for, Lindsay? I actually don't know what the N stands for, but I assume it has something about the density of the um, material that is doing the, that's between you and the bad stuff. I know it was an N and I think the other one was like a P. The N stands for a respirator is for non-oil based, uh, mediums. So there's oh, a different right. one if you're working with oil based mediums. So, cause I'm assuming it needs to have a different kind of a gradient to minimize what gets through. Um, so this rating is from NIOSH, N-I-O-S-H, um, which is the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health. Um, so you oh, know, that would make sense because a lot of this has been developed in reaction to people who are working, for example, in houses. Yes. Um, so do you know what that 95 to 100 stands for? Is that the percentage of particulate kept out of the air? Exactly. That's percentage of particulates that are blocked from being breathed in by you. And these are particulates that are 0.3 micrometers or larger. Oh, I see. So essentially they're saying you still need to breathe. So we're not cutting you off completely from the air. 
But anything that is this size and larger, we've designed this so that the gaps, the small, tiny gaps in this material are smaller than that. Right. Um, if you find that you are someone who is asthmatic, who has hard problems breathing or things like that, it is an additional layer between you and the air you need. You might want to just kind of test out wearing it for a little while. It's not like you're going to be doing that much heavy lifting or anything in it, but you know, just make sure you're comfortable and able to do it. Um, what one might mask might be harder for you to breathe through, um, and other ones might be easier for you to breathe through. So just test them out. Make sure you're comfortable. If you're doing mods, it might take a while. <laughs> um, and a lot of the modifications, the process that you want to do is to go very slow, very little, bit by bit. Because especially when you're doing a subtractive mod, once it's gone, it's gone. Yeah. It doesn't grow back. And trying to fill back in mistakes can cause you much more trouble in the long run. Yeah, whatever you're doing is going to be permanent. Um, so things you can do to reduce your um, dust while you're working is to wet sand. Uh, so actually put a little bit of water on either what you're working on or on your sandpaper. And sand like that, that'll make the water catch the particulates and keep it uh, out of the air for you. You can also it have weighs like, them down to prevent them from going flying everywhere in every dang place. Yes, water is very good at catching things because water is polar, and that's cool. <laughs> Science. <laughs> um, so Basically, the electronic charge of the water is like works like a magnet, so to speak. Right. I mean, like it, it's on a much smaller, more particulate level, but it does make water clingy, which does help it cling to things, which is cool um and part of why it's so great another thing you can do uh, is similar to being in a work uh, wood shop um you'll notice even on a uh, basic uh handheld sanders they often have a little vacuum bag attached right to them you could work with a similar concept um have your vacuum hose attached uh right behind kind of where you're working so you have an airflow working there um, you definitely want to work in a well-ventilated area and everything else. I do recommend having something for dust control so you don't have to clean everything off of everything later. Especially if you're doing some larger subtractive modifications, you're going to make a lot of dust if you're working with a Dremel. In addition to that, you definitely want to be working in a space where there is no food or any other matter that you might be ingesting. Because while you're working, it may look like the dust that's being kicked up from the subtractive modding is only in a concentrated area but if you signed like if you went around and took samples of everything in the room around you it's very likely that there are particulates everywhere because it gets into the air it moves through the air like dust it's very fine particles and you cannot control them really well without having a chain like a, a dedicated sanding chamber which is something that a lot of that you can find you can purchase them specifically if you're looking for materials for people who do woodworking or a lot of sanding any kind of sanding um they have they make like small booths so to speak that will control that but if you don't have that and you're next to a window and all you have is a window and you're self-protected make the things around you are going to get touched by particulates yes and uh, like i said uh, uh resin dust is not poisonous it is toxic to your lungs but i still wouldn't 
recommend ingesting it. I only recommending ingesting food. Um, what is that? Everything is edible, but I wouldn't recommend it. Something from Willy Wonka, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do believe that if you tried hard enough, I think you can put anything you want in your mouth, but you perhaps won't be happy about the results. Yes, yes. Um, so uh, a note about sandpaper for the uninitiated. Uh, a lower number on the sandpaper, like 100, means it's coarser and will take away more resin per swipe. Um, but it also means that it's going to go very quickly and it's going to leave a very rough surface. Now, higher uh, grit sandpaper is finer and will polish things smoother. Um, you don't want to over sand your doll because your doll can, if you use a high enough grit, end up having a silverware-like shine. Um, you do want to Oh, leave... that's right. You can, you are capable of sanding to a glossy mirror finish. Yes. Which is not quite what resin does. Yes. You, well, it does, it can do it, but you don't really want that because you're going for a, a skin-like texture, which has a bit of a, a grit to it. And, uh, in addition, <laughs> uh, most, most modifications that you're doing, you, you might want to at least, uh, maybe blush over, or you might want to put a UV coat over, um, you're going to want a little bit of that tooth to help cling paint and pastels and the like. Uh, even though when, exactly. you, when you put your first layer of MSC or sealant on, it's going to give it a little tooth. Even that, something to make that stick is helpful. Um, In addition, when you're going after sanding anything, the general wisdom is you start with a rougher quality of... Um, sandpaper to get the material gone and then progressively work yourself through finer and finer qualities of sandpaper because it's much more efficient, clean, and effective to work down the roughness from removing media to the point where it's back to the original finish. Yes. Um, And you can kind of compare as you're going higher and higher grit to an area perhaps that you haven't sanded yet till you get to that right one. Um, I, I haven't actually looked up the grid of sandpaper that is the approximate finish of a doll, but it might even vary from a uh, company to company. So, so go slowly, buy a bunch of grits, use your best judgment, go slowly. You can't undo what you do. But exactly. Sa- sandpaper, of course, isn't your only, um, method of removal. Uh, the very simple one, uh, which is often used for, um, Removing seam lines would be an, uh, a small hobbyist knife or exacto knife for uh, most people will recognize it under that name. Uh, so you can work putting that knife parallel to the seam and gently gliding up, taking away as little as possible with each swipe until you get it mostly parallel and then you're going to start your sanding. Um, You want to be very careful doing this if you're in an area where you might accidentally nick with a pointy end of the exacto knife the resin nearby because then you could create potentially scratches that you'll have to deal with yes which uh we might get to that in another episode uh we should definitely do one on uh 
accidents and repairs. <laughs> um, oh, absolutely. We can go through some horror stories that are classic in the hobby, and then how do people deal with them? Yes, other than large amounts of stress. Um, so- <laughs> <laughs> well, the stress is unavoidable, unfortunately. Yes. I can only... I'm having a vision at the moment. Um, micro drills are often used for... Um, putting in pierced ears so you can have your doll with earrings. Um, and what is a micro gel, Becca? Um, just a very, very, very fine bit. Some of these, um, some of these bits are so small, uh, that you might actually just put them in, glue them into a small dowel, uh, rather than, so you'd have more control rather than trying to put them in any sort of drill. And just slowly, slowly, slowly rotate until you get through the ear. And be careful not to touch the back of the head once you're through. Um, (laughs) Some people actually uh, go from the uh, back of the ear towards the front. Because uh, you do have to keep in mind that once the earring is through, you do have to put the the back of the earring on or something that would close it off. Some people use those little um, almost clear plastic little pieces that people get when you buy new earrings to keep them on the card or um it might even be like a hoop earring or something like that where it can just loop in on itself but either way you're going to need a little little room in there to work with however you're going to make sure you don't lose your earring um unlike Um, one thing i do want to mention about the earring business is a lot of that is coming out of earlier in the hobby when it's like you really wanted earrings are a jewelry piece that can be really interesting. And if you have like a very small stud, it might be in scale. But I have an alternative that I like a lot to doing a subtractive mod in order to attach earrings. Because while you can then change earrings in and out, when there is no earring in the ear, depending on how you, your plans with the doll, there is a hole there that doesn't look particularly nice and friendly. What I really like is when people take small gems or similar items to jewelry and or jewelry themselves, snip off the back, and they use white glue to attach them. Yes, um, but wait, we'll get to that in additive modifications. Ooh. I'm jumping ahead, I always do. It's okay, we're almost done here. <laughs> um, so Dremels are good for large amounts of removal. You want to kind of stop before oh, you're quite boy. there. Um, oh boy. Dremel... Dremel's an aggressive dude. Dremel, Dremel's like, I am going to completely reshape these, this cup joint. Yes, this cup joint and or um, removing genitalia and or completely removing uh, breast um, or maybe changing bust size, but I would say work a little slower on that unless you kind of <laughs> have a, a good idea of where you're going to stop and then start shaping. Yeah, because with a Dremel, that is a very aggressive bit, potentially. Yes. And what you're doing with it is that the idea is you're taking away a significant amount, a chunk. You're taking a chunk out of the resin, and you're not going to want to finish it with the Dremel. You're going to take the resin down, the chunk of it down, but not completely all the way to where you want it. And you're going to finish it with the sandpaper. Yes. Because otherwise you're running the risk of potentially really going too far before you realize it because it's going so quickly. Yes. Too Says fast. someone who might have experience, not on dolls, but in a different context. Yeah. <laughs> Mo- well, yeah. modeling and other things. Um, so, uh, finally, you were talking about uh, for 
for um, arm bevels and things. I've seen someone actually do it recently uh, a modification where they added in a whole extra set of arms into the upper body. Um, oh, I did see that. Yes. Well, I remember of... that, and they did a beautiful job of it. I was very impressed. Yeah, the one gal I saw, I should have written down her name. She was on Den of Angels. Um, she did uh, two dolls, and they were uh, thematically based on uh, a moth and a butterfly. Um, so they all... Oh, no, I want to... Yeah. That's a that's cute. They're really I cute. Like that. Yeah. Um so something that's actually a little better for getting that correct bevel in um sockets like that or um for opening up an eye socket or changing the size of an eye that would fit in your eye socket are what's called eye bevels. <laughs> to be clear to to make the eye well inside the head larger so they can put a glass eye in there. That's a different size than the standard. Yeah. Um, yes. So these things kind of look like, uh, they kind of look like lollipops with the, the, the spherical kind. Um, so you got a stick, you got a ball on the end, the ball has a certain grit, um, and you spin that around, you wiggle it around, you wiggle it around, you wiggle it around, and eventually you'll get the shape that you want. Um, this is something that you definitely can find off of the Volks website. Yes, and, and many places. Um, I'm not sure what default equivalent grit they are because I've never purchased one myself. I will say that, and they're also intended for like it w in a non-visible place. Yes, um, like the inside of a doll, inside of a joint, and once you're done with it, you can also go in with a smoother sandpaper because it's really good at getting that perfect spherical shape. But you can also go in with a finer grit, the the higher number grit, and smooth it out. Um, when you're modding eyes and eyelids, be careful. This is a place to be careful. Yes. <laughs> As you guys can see, like, the moment Becca was saying it, both of our instincts were, oh, please be careful. <laughs> yes. This was one of the, the, the fairly um, common mods to begin with uh, because uh, because of a few things. Um, because the, what was it, Resner Scarface came with one closed eye. Um, oh, and it you did. Could, and you could partially open the eye and add in a blind eye with, like, a white um, pupil. Iris and uh, sclera. Yes. And you could either get Volks to do this, or if you were brave, you could do it yourself. Or um, some of the models were harder to find with open eyes, and the closed eyes ones would be cheaper. So people would get those and open the eyes. Um, I it, know that I personally own at least... One of the uh, heads that I currently have actually on the body was originally a sleeping-eyed moon... Well, it's not really a moon. It's a sleeping-eyed head. And it was adjusted just a little bit to open up the eyes to leave a sort of, like, lazy look as opposed to completely asleep. Yes. And it was done very nicely. I was very lucky. And do you remember why modifying those uh, sleeping or lazy-eyed uh, uh, Delphs was so popular? I think it's because that their eyes are typically open fairly large. They're fairly large eyes, and a lot of people wanted to ha have the advantage of moving them open. But there's also the additional fact that at that time, usually if it was a sleeping-eyed head, that was the only way to get the vampire teeth and the elf ears. Yeah. And if you wanted elf ears, you were buying a sleeping head, but that didn't necessarily mean you wanted a sleeping head, so you modded the eyes open so you could have an open-eyed, elf-eared vampire dude. And yes. 
that is what things used to be like. It used to be that hard to find that kind of aesthetic. Whereas today it's like, I can't even name how many people do exactly that. Yes. In fact, um, one additional reason for the Delphs uh, was because when you bought what was one of their standard models, you could either buy it standard or you could buy it what was called special. Special would be a second head, which would be at a discounted price, cheaper than you could buy it from piece by piece from the parts section. You could still buy a second body, um, but it was actually more economical if you wanted twins or a second doll, or if you wanted to sell the head to gain a little bit of money back, um, to buy the special version, which was one full doll, plus the head with the sleeping eyes of the same model, and then modify that one open uh, to open the eyes. Um, and it was just a matter of economics. It was cheaper. <laughs> yeah. It was a really easy way to make that work at a time when it, not a lot of companies were thinking about things that way. Yes. Um, and I think we way late by it, but uh, one of the, some of the thinnest areas on a doll are the fingers, the ears, and the eyelids. So anytime you're working on or near those, you need to be careful, especially with subtractive modifications, because, for example, you might be trying to open up the eye well, and the eye crease might be shallower, and you might actually end up with a floating eyelid, in other words. You could actually sand mm -hmm. through one part and get there before the rest of it. So you have to be really careful and look at it and check out the thickness and see how it'll all work. Um, it might work out better on some models, worse on others. Uh, these are generally, as we mentioned in our, uh, in our wonderful presentation at uh, Castle Point Anime Convention. Which you can look at on YouTube as on yes. our YouTube page. Um, so these are some of the same spots that you can look at for irregular thinness to check to see if a doll has been recasted. Um, because the areas are thin enough already, um, if you're trying to work on it or if you're recasting it, uh, it'll actually end up being extra thin. Uh, the reason for that is that the way recasting often works is that they will obtain a legitimate doll and then create a mold from that doll. But part of the process of mold making and casting introduces shrinkage into the process. So something that is already very thin is now shrunk and it's even thinner than before. Yes, I've seen pictures of people placing the um, molds, uh, the, the, rather not the molds, the, the doll with the thinner area up to a, a light source and being able to see through it like washi paper. Um, and it just yeah. makes it very, I should say, frosted glass for those of us who are a little bit less into the, the, the Japanese culture. Beautiful, beautiful paper. My life is paper. Um. <laughs> so those are things to be aware of with, with um, subtractive modifications. So now we're to additive modification. And I feel in some ways, subtractive modifications, especially when you're working on just like gently sculpting a chin to be less pointy or Doing something like that is fairly simple, but additive can be extraordinarily simple and much easier to undo depending on what it is you're doing. Yes. Um, so let's go through a list of some of the common ones, at least at least the common ones before there was such a large 
large availability of um, of dolls to choose from. Elf ears. Female to male. That was such a big thing so far. So yes. Long. Elf ears in particular. Yeah, lots of delfs added those because the all the elf delfs uh, tended to be limited up until they got to, I think, the yaders. Y-D-E-R. That's how I pronounce it. Um, okay, so we got female to male, so you'll be adding genitalia and or a hermaphrodite. Um, changing an eye expression, so maybe it's pretty open and you want to close it up a little. Uh, adding fantasy details, like horns or spikes or oh any number of things. Adjusting feet or adding things to hands or fins or anything like that. Right. You can also add muscle definition rather than carving in by adding onto it. Uh, you can also add breasts onto a male doll. Um, you can also additive to your breast size in case you want the the push-up bra version, but you, alas, only got the, um, what's it called? Divide and conquer? We'll call it that. Um... <laughs> Oh, goodness. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean... Uh, um, with a corset or without a corset, perhaps. Yeah, we'll go with that one. Um, I remember the uh, the original Mini Faye releases uh, back when they... Um, they oh, this have... is... I remember this as well. Yeah, they definitely had the corset version. <laughs> yes, they definitely had the corset version, but um, that aside, it, anything that seemed to be missing and that you wanted to add it on... This is the category of things we're talking about. And it also does go as small as what we earlier alluded to, putting earrings on. Yes. Uh, most of your modifications are going to be permanent in this category. But you can sculpt pieces or take pieces and then attach them with what's called PVA glue, which is a water-soluble, water-based glue. This is, um, to give you some context, you're not quite sure what kind of glue we're talking about. Think white Elmer's glue. Yes. In fact... Are you ready? I have a list of six adhesives and how they work and what they are. All right, let's go. Okay, so PVA glue, white or yellow glue. This physically interlocks porous materials. Um, so this works best on things that it can absorb into, but um, if you leave enough of it so that the object can kind of float in it and kind of create almost like a suction in a way, it will stay there. It uses friction almost to keep things together. Yes. Um, it's grabbing side A, it's grabbing side B, and it's just sort of melding, holding them together. Did you ever do the thing in like like elementary school where you put the- Where you covered your hands in glue and then peeled them off? Yes! <laughs> Of course! Doesn't everybody do that? Because when you're five and you're using glue, it gets all over you anyway. And then when it dries, it's like this beautiful skin. Yeah. And then you have to take it off, and you just wait till it dries, and then you peel it off, and it's very stupidly satisfying. Yeah, I know. I guess the nowadays, the version of that would be like, um, what do you call it? Like a, a face, facial mask? <laughs> like the, the peeling type? Kind of, Kind of almost has that same satisfaction. Um, it does. Yes. <laughs> um, so the, the glue, this glue is slightly um, bendable, but not entirely. If you put it on thicker than obviously the little skin layer on, it will crack before it will bend. Um, 
then you have your super glue, which is called a cyanoacrylic adhesive. Uh, most important to note about super glue is do not use it on styrofoams um, because it, it will... melts them. Yes, it will. Um, how <laughs> this one works is it binds to water and hydroxyl groups on the surface of the substrate or the, the thing that you're trying to glue together. Um, the, the trick with uh, most of these other glues, PV, PVA water-based glue, you kind of want a, a little bit of extra so your your item can kind of float there if it's not a porous item. If it's a porous item, it'll kind of kind of fuse it together. Um, but if it's not porous, you kind of need a little bit more. When you're using something like super glue, you need kind of the just the right amount. If it's too much, your item's not going to sit there quite right. Um, it'll kind of like not be aligned when it's there and it won't be a good grip between the two surfaces because it's actually binding. Um, but if you push too much of it out, there's nothing going to be between the joint to actually create the adhesive action. Um, number three, solvent. Oh, before we move on from super glue, yes. quick story about super glue. It was originally developed as an emergency um, method to close wounds, cool. which is why it is so designed for working with something that's full of water nice like your skin and that's why when you get it on your skin it is nearly impossible to get off of your body because it binds really well with skin because it was designed to yes so so when you get some on your hand do not hit yourself in the forehead because you feel silly um you can go wash it off um i do believe there is a chemical that is that like, if you do have super glue in the wrong place say even on the doll itself there is a chemical that will break it down i am not actively remembering it at the moment but i think it might be hydrogen peroxide i am not 100 percent sure mm, i haven't looked that up so you'll or it may be acetone one or the other yeah. continue becca i'm going to check <laughs> okay number three solvent chemicals uh these are most commonly seen in like plastic kits so like your warhammer or your gundam stuff and these actually melt, creates a chemical reaction and melts the two plastics. So then the plastics bond together because you just melted them together. Uh, you want to use very little of this as possible because if you use too much, it's going to melt everything. It kind of comes across. You, you could probably melt your whole model if you dunked it in this. Um, that is to say, this is a one-way trip. Yes. PVA glue and super glue can be removed. Um, I just double checked myself and I was right. Super glue can be dissolved by acetone. Oh, so if you, you ever have if you have super glue on your hands or if the super glue gets into the wrong place in the doll, a little bit of acetone and a Q-tip or cotton swab and it'll dissolve it right away. Yes. Um, but both of those things, um, PVA being a water-based glue is weak to water. It can be removed without any damage to the doll. Super glue can be acetone removed. But what we're talking about here is a one-way trip. There's no going back from melting things back together. Yes, and uh, this won't really work for most of uh, resins because it's a it's a different type of plastic that it works with. Um, resin's kind of a plastic, but not not plastic in the way most of us think of plastic. Um, plastic is actually a wide variety of compounds and molecular structures, which we get into a little bit in an earlier episode when we were talking about vinyl. Yes, but so the PV the the plastic we're talking about, while it's all underneath the umbrella of plastic, is in a very different chemical 
bland than some other plastics. Yes, and these solvent chemicals, for example, would be very good at fixing the internal frame of a smart doll or a Dolphy Dream. Um, then we get contact adhesive, where the viscosity of it actually holds the bond together. It doesn't per se dry, so this would be like marine adhesives and stuff like that, which is kind of cool. Uh, stuff that you kind of see in those commercials going, it's waterproof! Cool! And like everybody yeah. like tripping over themselves. Oh, is to that cut what a that hose. stuff is? I've always yeah. kind of wondered. It seems like a newer discovery, or at least more newly available to the consumer rather than industrial processes. Yes, um, this doesn't really have any application in our world here. Uh, polyurethane glues, uh, which would be like a Gorilla Glue. Uh, this also interlocks and binds to water and hydroxyl groups, but it's a little Similar different. Similar to glue. Because there's a little bit more, it's a little different base, so it actually can chemically react with your resin. This can be a good thing and this can be a bad thing because it can be similarly a good thing to the like the solvent chemicals where if you're doing something it'll kind of make a good bond uh, but because it's having a chemical reaction a few things are going to happen here it's going to heat up a little so you're going to feel that it has some heat to it it might foam a yeah, little urethanes are an exothermic reaction when they develop so heat is being released yes it might foam a little um, it's going to expand a little because it's foaming. Um, because of all this, you want to, if you do use polyurethane on your project, use very, very little of it. Um, I've heard people using it without much um, issue. Um, most often issue with anything, uh, especially for things like repairs. Whatever you repair, it's going to be a weak spot. It's never going to be as strong as it was when it was just one solid piece and one solid consistency all the way through so it might break again unfortunately yeah. finally we get to epoxy which is both in this case a medium with which to sculpt to make your additive uh, pieces and also is actually something that will um, glue things together it's pretty magical yes so epoxy is not really reversible <laughs> it's reversible in the sense that sanding things off and, and chopping them off of other pieces is reversible. Yes, yeah, so, so if you want something to be reversible, sculpt it in epoxy and then attach it to your um, item. Uh, for example, you could... Yeah, even, either like, super uh, glue or PVA. Yes, uh, you could even, um, for example, put uh, like a plastic wrap over the area you want to do it, sculpt onto that, remove it, and then use the glue to attach it once you're your um, epoxy has glued, uh, gl glued, dried, has cured, hardened, hardened. Um, so this one also interlocks and chemically bonds. So what is epoxy? That is a great question. Epoxy's a two-part mix. Um, it's actually made of two things. One is the epoxy, which is actually a hardener. So it's something that chemically hardens something else. What you're hardening is the very generic term resin so even just like resin from a tree which you know would eventually become like an amber resin is a viscous fluid with the potential to harden so basically your epoxy is making your resin harden and perhaps just making it harden faster 
than it would otherwise, and left alone to its own devices, so to speak. Yes. It's making a chemical reaction happening that hurries up the process that may happen on its own. Which is why with epoxy, when you open your epoxy, you need to keep it in a sealed container, because it will eventually do things without your intervention. Yes. Um, but that is also a good thing about epoxy for um, the, the uh, needs of modding onto a resin item, because you don't need to add heat to cure it like you would a clay. Um, so you can actually just sculpt it, put it down, be patient, come back, and it'll be done. Uh, you, while you're attaching two things together, you're not going to have to worry about heating up your resin doll, which is good. Once it's hardened, it's sandable. I would use all the same precautions for sanding it is as uh, sub subtractive modifications. You can airbrush your um, epoxy to match uh, whatever you place it onto. Airbrushing, uh, it's hard to get into. You might even be able to find someone on the marketplace somewhere to do the airbrushing after you do your modification yourself, unless you have an airbrush machine. It's a little more startup heavy because you need to get the paints, figure out how to thin the paints, figure out how to match the colors and everything else. And going into airbrushing requires an entire another skill set of knowledge. There's a lot of different kinds of compressors, compressors. There's a lot of different kinds of brushes. There's different types of brushes. Um, brushes by brush, I mean it is the part of the machine that the, the paint is being loaded into and the air is throwing the paint out of, which is how they work. Yeah, it kind of looks like a pen. Depending on them, they're good for different um, applications versus detail, small details to widespread just coverage. And it's worth sitting down and taking a look through um, an adjacent hobby to ours, um, car model hobbyists and similar people to see what they say about what works for them, because what works for them may very well work for you. Yes. Um, that being said... You can kind of try to get as close as possible. Um, I would recommend if you are in the realm of trying to modify a doll, uh, the easiest thing to match is always going to be white resin. Because it's really easy to get white uh, epoxy. Uh, two brands that are always mentioned in the hobby is Epoxy Sculpt and Milliput. I'll say I have um, laid hands on both. I personally tend to like epoxy sculpt a little bit better. It feels better in the hand when you're working it together. I it gives you a, I really liked the working time that it gives you working time being um what what you basically do you have two clay looking things, you mash them together, you mix them together as well as you can as if you were making bread and then you use this the epoxy you move it into like the shape that you want it to take or attach it or whatever you like, but you have a working time which is, depending on the epoxy or the material you're working with, can be 10 minutes, it can be an hour, it can be two hours. The brand will tell you how long that working time is until it becomes too stiff for you to continue to do anything with it. And yes. epoxy sculpt, I've had the most sort of consistent success with using it. Um, I am talking from a perspective of not doll work because I haven't done any additive any things to my dolls because I'm frankly frightened. <laughs> but I have done a lot of prop work in an adjacent hobby called cosplay, and Epoxy Sculpt has been really great. I have heard that Milliput is a little bit better for smaller details. It will hold smaller details when you're working with it a little bit more. But I tend to... I just, I just really like the feel of 
epoxy sculpt better. If you find one more easily than the other, they're very similar things. Get a small amount, work with it a little bit. It's not something that's easy to take away, so it's worth doing a little bit of research and trying out of things until you commit to using one or the other. Hell, I, I just kept some epoxy sculpt. Uh, by the way, epoxy sculpt is spelled with an A um, instead of the E in epoxy. Um, I keep some of it. <laughs> I, I've had it around the house, and I've, I've used it to fix a few things. Like, uh, for some reason, there was a nut or something that got lost off the back of a, a kitchen cabinet, and I just... Mix the two parts very well. Um, I think in this instance, it's a one-to-one. -one. You want to mix it very thoroughly. Yeah, epoxy is a one-to-one, -one, which also makes it very straightforward. Yeah. Um, you're going to mix it very, very thoroughly until you don't see any um, swirls, because they come in two different colors, the epoxy and the resin. Um, mm -hmm. And you're going to... It's a white and a gray, gray and when you yeah. mix them together, they will change color. Yes. Um, and, and it dries, uh, there, there might be other basic colors, but it dries to a slight off-white. Um, that being said, you can add pigments to both epoxy spot and milliput. There's just a few things you have to keep in mind. Yes, with epoxy sculpt, you can use acrylic, oil paints, or powder pigments. But this is going to change the consistency of your now clay-like medium. Um, I have heard about the oil, mm -hmm. that there are some complications there. Yeah, I wouldn't want to add oil to anything that's going to be touching adjacent to a, a doll anyway, uh, to a resin, since resins can take in oils. So I might Yeah, I've also it. heard that depending on your situation and how much pigment you're putting into what you're mixing together, the oil in oil paint can uh, make a muck with the pro chemical processes of hardening. Ah, uh, yeah. So I've tried it with acrylic, but it kind of made it tacky. Um, yeah. It made it a bit harder to work with. So what I ended up doing was actually taking that all off, just putting it on white uh bland colored and then having someone airbrush over it for me um powder pigments yeah, dry I've never pigments i with. think are your better bet yes um like a course. pastel or something like that and when you work with something like that you're gonna be able to um uh modify uh it'll it'll make it a little drier but if it's a little drier it's not too hard to add a little drop of water or two back in. Uh, speaking of which, both epoxy sculpt and milliput can be smoothed out with water. Um, so that helps create a smoother surface for you to finishing surface before you get into sanding or anything else. Uh, milliput says that you can use spirit-based enamel oil paints or powder pigments. Um, and they specifically noted on their website uh, the powder pigments can change the texture to a dry or crumbly one. So uh, they didn't recommend it. But uh, depending on what color you're going for, you might need to go for something a little with a little bit more oomph in it than, um, than a pastel would provide. Because uh, you want to put in as little oh, as yeah. possible. <laughs> you want to put in as little additive to the um epoxy as possible because you want to keep oh, that yeah. nice sculpting consistency that's their basic consistency i found that that's easiest to work with yeah it's as little you can add as possible you will interfere least with the way it's designed to work yes um 
I also read uh, if you have a little bit too much heat or moisture while millipit is setting up, it can have a yellow color or yellow residue on it. Um, but getting back to getting this all to attach, um, we are talking about that tooth before when you're like uh, sanding away. You actually might want to, before you add something on, let's say a horn or a breast or something like that, you might actually want to roughen up the area with a lower grit sandpaper first. So there's more surface for the modification to cling to when it does that chemical cling. Uh, or, mm -hmm. yeah, interlocks and chemically bonds epoxy. Have any other thoughts on additive mods other than go slow and... <laughs> really, when it comes to modifications of all types, you want to go slow and you want to sand. In my experience in... A minor experience in sculpting, a little bit more experience in working with um, making props or anything where you're building something from scratch, the difference between something that looks like you a little bit more amateur and something that looks really, really smooth and really well put together isn't so much in the talent of the person who's doing it. It isn't in your ideas. It isn't in your creativity. It's in your willingness to sit there and sand things. <laughs> when you are willing to sit there and slowly and methodically work from, say, a 400 grit sandpaper all the way up to a 1200 grit sandpaper. Um, sandpaper is finer the larger the number is next to it. If you're willing to sit and do that, that is what looks like a professional finish, and that is what's going to make people go really wow about looking at what you've done. It's the roughness that sort of um, looks unusual. And if you take a moment to look at people who are showing their works in progress, before they do the sanding, everything looks a little lumpy and strange. But it's the sanding and the finishing that goes into the sanding that really brings it a really beautiful shaping and it allows you to subtly shape things in a beautiful way. So if anything else you take away from this, I would say, A, safety, safety, safety. Listen to that part like three times if you need to. Your lungs are important to us and to you and to people who love you. And please take your time with the sanding. It will make all of the difference. Um, the only other note that I can think of in terms of additive is that if you're really new to the idea and you're a little hesitant, like someone like me, where I'm very hesitant to do anything major to the dolls myself, there's a lot of people in the hobby who do this as a, on a commission basis. And you can see what they do, but also start small. Work with maybe PVA glue, and one way to put earrings on something is to drill through the ear, and if that's a little scary for you, try first a dollop of PVA glue with, say, a rhinestone that you can find in the jewelry aisle, or a beautiful piece of, um, even a hoop, an earring hoop, as long as you take off that sharp part in the end. You're not using it for yourself, you're using it for a doll anyway. Or if you can find even a jump hoop that's used for yeah. um, jewelry, might be even more in scale, cut it down with a piece of pliers, use a little bit of PVA glue, and now you, you have it right there, and it's reversible if you decide that's not exactly what you really want. There's a lot of things you can do additively with PVA glue and super glue and, um... Super glue, uh, not super, and super glue, and also hot glue yes. that are completely reversible because of the nature of what you're using to attach things. And I would start there first if you're not very confident. 
But even then, start small, and if you go really slow and patiently and take your time and do it like an hour every day and then take your time, that is the best way to have a really nice, fun result you're going to be satisfied with. Yes, which brought me to two notes in my brain. Number one, everybody ask this. Use PVA white glue to glue in eyelashes. Don't use super glue. It'll take your face off with it. Remember, we were saying that comes off with a, what was it, some sort of a... Acetone. Yeah, that'll take off a face up. So PVA glue, water soluble. <laughs> That's what eyelashes are attached with. And it'll be easier to, t- to clean up any excess glue and it'll be easy to remove them later. If over time, um, sometimes eyelashes will get a little beat up and they'll need some replacing eventually. And it's much easier if you use white glue. It dries completely clear. If you remember from grad, like elementary school, I was at graduate school, graduate school, the place where you use PVA glue. Um, in elementary school, it, it dries completely clear. So that is a great upside to you. Yes. Okay. Number two thing. Additive modifications requires sculpting. People go to like college to learn this. Um, People go to school to learn how to sculpt. It's not gonna come easy, especially with fine details like fine lines in an elf ear or something like that, or getting the right curvature to a breast, or perhaps adding on uh, a realistic genitalia. It's gonna take a little while to get used to. Um, Practice at it. Practice with your medium. Practice with uh, something that won't dry. Just stick on some um uh something that's not oil based i'm not quite sure if um oh man i can't remember what a non oil based medium that you can sculpt with repeatedly i'm tempted to say sculpty it's play doh play doh is definitely water based um it's a little hard to sculpt with though is sculpty oil based Sculpey may be oil-based because it is baked. That is true. Okay. You keep talking. I'm going to check this out. <laughs> yes. Um. Anyway, so you, you can always just put it on like a, a piece of something and just work with it. Try it. Buy a little, like, little clay working set. It's going to take time. You're learning. It's a new art form that you're learning. Be patient with yourself. Um, you might eventually go, uh, this is above my skill level or above my patience. And then you might need to commission somebody. But if you stick with it, it's really rewarding to have a doll that you can feel like you completed yourself, which is really cool. And it's also going to be completely unique because it is a little different from every other possible sculpt out there. Yes. Um, in addition, I just double checked. Sculpey is a polymer based clay, so it should be all right. Yay! Which brings us to dyeing resin. You might have a doll and you might want it to, I don't know, be a drow. Um, dark dark colors are hard to get, uh, well, number one, to buy. Um, they Companies usually charge you a lot extra for that. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a lot of really good reasons for that, too. Like, earlier we were talking about how if you add too much pigment into epoxy, which is a resin-based adhesive... That it sometimes does weird things, such as doesn't harden completely or will have a crumbly texture. 
When it comes to liquid resins, which is the type of resin that is used for the dolls, there is a similar problem. There's only so much pigment you can pack into the liquid without impacting the chemical reaction that takes place to create the hardening process. And you can only get, it's very hard to get consistent deep colors because of the nature of how the casting process goes through. If you can imagine it, think about when you have a cup of milk and you want to have chocolate milk and you have chocolate and you squeeze the chocolate into the milk. These things are two different thicknesses. One is the chocolate is much thicker than the milk, but if you stir it, it'll eventually sort of settle out into a consistent color, but there's a between stage where they're not fully mixed and you have sort of this striping of different shades of dark brown. A similar thing is going is happens when they're trying to do the really dark, very pigmented things with the resin. And I would imagine that there's also like a hypersaturation point, kind of the point where you're exactly. stirring and stirring and the rest of the chocolate isn't dissolving into the milk. Um, you, th that's called the saturation point. That means that is as much molecules as can fit inside the other molecules. They cannot, there's nowhere else to pack it together anymore. It'll just settle out as um, a precipitate. Yes, and that will happen in the resin as well. Um, so what we do in our hobby is we get some writ dye, we put it on the stove, and we stick our resin pieces in there. Uh, but of course, it's a little bit more complicated than that, as always. Um, so what you're actually doing when you're doing this, um, you're heating up the water and heating up your resin, which kind of opens up the pores of your the surface of the um, resin piece, which allows the... Um, pigments to seep into the resin. So it actually sits in there and will be in the first several layers of your doll. I've heard people after dolls have been dyed have been able to sand, 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 sand and get rid of it because it only penetrates so far. But that being said, there's no guarantee that what you're going to do is going to be reversible at this point. You really are best going into it assuming whatever I'm going to do from this point forth is how it's going to be. And that requires a little bit of care, preparation, and some testing. So why dye a doll, particularly a whole doll, rather than airbrushing it? Um, as we've gone over on our joints episodes, um, a lot of pieces of your doll touch each other. And because they're dolls that are played with, they move. Um, Eventually, as many people complain about on their Zoom Limiteds and their limited edition painting and blushing, by moving it in that area, you will eventually have pieces of it rub or possibly even chip off um, completely. Um, something you can do to prevent chipping, uh, both of face-ups and of uh, blushing and things like that, is to, well, also in this method, uh, you want to make sure that you wash your resin piece very thoroughly before you start, which means that you're gonna have that first either layer of um, dye or layer of clear coat be right against the uh, doll uh, resin. So it gets a nice bond there or seeps right into the pores of the doll. Um, so this is an important step because even just touching with your hands your hands leave a little bit of something behind, which is why you always see curators at an art museum, or even the videos of people at um, Volk's shops wearing cotton gloves, because they don't want to leave their hand oils behind. 
and in addition to that, it's always a good idea to be washing your hands periodically when you're handling your dolls or when you're getting sitting down to even do the ad additive and subtractive modifications we just talked about because the oils in your hand are mildly corrosive. Yeah. And that over time can cause a problem. That's why when you're in certain very old buildings and there's a banister next to you, there's usually a rub spot right where people will be grabbing it and running their hands along it because over years and years through friction and the corrosive nature of the oils on people's skin, they've literally eaten through the metal slightly. Yeah. Um, I, I use at work and I use at home, uh, nitrile gloves. Um, they're fairly, um, they're fairly comfortable. They come in many sizes. You can get them without the annoying powder on the inside of the glove, um, so which you definitely don't want when you're doing face-ups, because you, you imagine like putting on a glove and then all the dust gets stuck to your doll's face. Um, oh, goodness, no. Yeah, so um, I'd, <laughs> recommend, I'd recommend unpowdered. Your, your hands are going to get sweaty in there, but sometimes it's just easier than having to worry about the oils from your hands or uh, what... Maybe even you might be touching something, and if you have longer fingernails, it rounds out the edge of your fingernail, so you don't accidentally poke into something. Um, yes. Especially something that's dry, either drying and or um, curing, as it were. Um, so now we have a basic idea of how the, the, the pigment gets into the resin. Um, different things are going to affect how much color your piece of resin takes on. Um, the and there's also all sorts of methods for trying to get the dye in there, like such as like there are heat-based dyes, there are cold, like um, chemically reactive-based dyes, and that's a whole different rabbit hole too. Yeah, I would keep away from the chemically reactive ones because you don't know what that's going to do to your resin. Um, there's a few, most of the tried and true methods for dyeing dolls have been the heat stovetop method. Um, yes. So different resins have different densities. Um, so if you're trying to dye two different companies' resins, if you take both pieces that are a similar size and you put it in, you take it out, they might come out being two different shades of color. Um, the bigger those pores are, the more pigment it's going to take in. Um, also, and, it, and depending on how they do their casting, what the chemical makeup is of their particular resin, because all the companies, depending on where they're doing their batching, may have very different chemical uh, recipes for the resin that they're using. So it's all not standard across the industry. There isn't just one resin that is the resin dolls use. There's subtle differences or not so subtle differences. So when you put them into the dye and we're trying to get those pores filled with pigment... It doesn't always do evenly or equally across pieces, across batches, or across companies. Yeah. Um, another thing you're going to fight against is a surface-to-mass uh, surface ratio. Ah, yes. I remember this from science vaguely. You should tell me what it is. Okay. So it's a very similar idea to you cooking a steak. If you have a thin, flat oh, steak... Oh, don't make me hungry. I did this last time too, didn't you I? Did. If you have a thin flat steak and you put it on your um, griddle, it's going to take a very, very short time to cook because there's a lot of heat and there's a lot of surface area to convey that heat. Now, if you had the same amount of meat per weight, 
uh, per mass and you put it into a cube and you put that on that same little skillet. You're going to get a sear on that one side of that cube, but it's not really going to translate to the rest of it. The rest of the surface area isn't in direct contact with that. So in the instance of something with um, getting submerged into a dye, you have to imagine that every, the surface area is everything that touches the water in this case. So it's a 3D surface area. So in this case, it might be better to imagine um, a solid sphere sticking in there. The only thing that's going to touch is the outside of that sphere. So if you were to think about maybe like a solid head, as opposed to what is like a hollow head or a hollowed out sphere, so just the peel per se of an orange, you're going to have all that surface area on the inside of it touching and all that surface area on the outside of it pulling in from both sides at the same time those pores, especially in thinner areas like eyelids, thinner areas like ears and fingers, those are going to tend to get darker faster. Um, I would go slow and steady. Um, and something that uh, I saw recently on, a, on a, what, what I'll actually mention now, um, the dyes that I've seen used are I dye poly, which has been defined as stinky and fumy. So once again, um, make sure you have a good amount of airflow around you and uh, perhaps get one of those uh, respirators that do have carbon in them to limit the smell so you don't get a headache. Uh, RIT dye, and there's actually something now called RIT dye more, which is good for polyurethanes which will work very, very well, I would imagine, on resin. Um, the main differences between these dyes that we're talking about is that they're designed to chemically react to different materials. iPoly dye is intended for fabrics that are synthetic fabrics that are made essentially, no surprise here, out of plastic. The RIT dyes are mostly designed to work with natural materials such as cotton and linen, and I believe the RIT dye more is their answer to iPoly's existence, which is also itself designed to work with plastic synthetic fabrics. Yes, and, and you would have to imagine the RIT dye, when it was made, it wasn't made to be as pungent because it's made for a fabric, which, once again, is like that very, very thin steak. You have a very high surface to mash ratio there, so you've got... Yes. You've got a lot of contact there. Um, and um, natural fibers react differently to the to pigments, and they take up pigments in a different way than plastics do. Plastics don't really absorb the pigments. You have to sort of destroy them to make them take up the dye, which is where some of those fumes are coming from. There's a chemical reaction anticipated there to break down the plastic to a certain extent so that it can take up the dye. Yeah, because like everything set in, like we were mentioning that resin before, like it has room in there for pigments. Well, now you got to kind of heat it up, open it up, and then push in a whole bunch more pigment where it didn't exist before. Um, something exactly. they did on this tutorial where they were actually, uh, if you looked at the RIT dye website, uh, they were doing it on Legos, and they actually had quite a success on white Legos. Ooh. Um, 
I did not actually know that. I hadn't heard about their Lego experiments that they like officially went. Let's see what plastic items do that isn't fabric because it really is designed for fabric. Yes. Um. So Rit Die More. This is so they actually put it in and they recommended once it's heated up, taking it away and scooping. Um. So you bring it up from the bottom and stirring the water. So that you keep it agitated so that the plastic doesn't remain against the heat of the um, pot so it doesn't melt it. Um, That is an important point as well. When you're working with boiling water isn't going to destroy a resin piece. It heats it up, and as we mentioned, I believe at some point it softens you can it. sort of, it softens it to the point where you can sort of bend it and then give it sort of a new shape to, in a subtle way, a subtle shape. But the sides of a metal pot are not nearly as friendly when you are doing anything with sticking a, a piece of arm, resin arm, into a pot of boiling water. You do not want it to touch the sides of the bottom. There is too much heat concentrated there. Luckily, most of the objects that we have have these nice, nice uh, little spots in them that are made for strings to go through, fantastically enough. How convenient! How convenient! <laughs> so what people do is they I actually... I would never have guessed! What people actually do is they string through theirs and they create something on the other end so it doesn't fall off. And they almost... um. They, like, hang it in the pot, like, putting, like, chopsticks or something long or a ruler over the top of the pot with these items strung over them, almost like dipping candles, um, doing uh, long candlesticks um, to put it in the pot without touching the edges of the pot. Obviously, you're going to want a, f- a large enough pot that ideally you can fit most of everything in at once because as you're working, the dye is going to be pulled from the water into the pieces um and as you do that the ratio of dye in the water is going to change um so you can either kind of restart and do the same formula you started with or you can uh just put everything in it once and what that's going to do is um if you took everything out and then put a next batch in without refreshing it or making sure it was that same ratio it's going to end up being a different color. And that is also its own problem. Yes. So when you're taking uh, this, they recommend taking it off the stove once it's heated up. They said that's going to increase the dye time, but it's also going to decrease the time there's a hot, hot, hot metal pot very close to the rest of your resin, which is a good thing. (laughs) That's true. Um, So to test what your color looks like, you're going to take one of these pieces out It's going to be hot. Be careful. Use gloves. Uh, Wipe it off. If it looks kind of good, rinse it off with some water. To kind of seal it in place, you're going to want to rinse it off with cold water. Um, And then you'll pretty much be good. Um, I would recommend uh, sealing after doing this. um, Just because a little bit of it is just kind of... It's sitting in the surface. um, Similar to... Well, similar to me on Dungeons and Dragons nights, when I put my washable <laughs> markers on my reusable map, um, they're washable markers, and I'm wiping it up, and my skin absorbs it. Later, I'll touch something, and the green or whatever color will will come out because it's being released from the pores. <laughs> um, you are now the marker monster. 
Yes. Um, another way to imagine it is if you, I think a, 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 an idea that sort of came to mind right now is if you had a bucket full of ping pong balls. Yes. There's space between those ping pong balls. Yes. And the die is sitting in that space between the ping pong balls, which means it's sitting there. It's near the surface. It's a solid, what, after the water business is, the water is more of a vehicle to heat it up and to get it inside of the item as a solution. But after that, it's just sitting there as like a chunk of, of pigment. It is pigment that is a physical thing. And if you rubbed at it, some of that pigment may rub off. Oh. Because it's just sitting there. It's not locked in to every single level. So speaking, speaking about getting green all over your hands when playing Dungeons and Dragons, while you're wearing, <laughs> working with dye, wear gloves and clothing that you don't mind changing colors. Um, <laughs> even sometimes think about your shoes and socks because it might drip. Um, maybe even put paper down in case you have something that might take up... Um, dye that you're working on and around. Ideally, this will be in the kitchen because you're going to use a stovetop. Um, use a disposable palette. Um, go to a thrift store. You're probably going to need a big, big hunkin' pot anyway. Make that your dye pot. Um, the websites for these, uh, at least for Rit Dye, I didn't look for Dye More or I Dye Poly, um, they recommend cleaning out the pot with bleach before using it for food again. Just just go oh, buy yes, you... go buy a banger pot. Go go buy a burner pot <laughs> from the thrift store. Buy a pot you don't care about because like we were saying, you don't want resin in your lungs. You don't want nasty chemicals that are designed to be caustic to plastics in your body. No, no, you don't. Um and uh as we mentioned before, um if it comes out a little too dark in an area or um things like that you'll when you're sanding it it'll actually change the pigment um things to note on a little bit of pre-work on the resin before putting it in in addition to cleaning it if it has seam lines you're probably going to want to take those off beforehand because uh if you can imagine that little bump there has a little bit more surface to mass ratio it's going to make that seam line pop uh it's going to take in a little bit more pigment there than the rest of the area so you want to want to sand those ahead of time. Yeah, and sanding afterwards, like we mentioned earlier, with um, darker tones of skin color for different dolls. As you sand down, you're going to eventually get to the creamy center. This is the same thing here. The dye is only sitting in the top layers of the resin. As you sand down, if you're going to do any sanding, you're going to see potentially a shade change because you are removing the material that is holding the pigment. So you're going to want to do that before you dye it. In addition, I would not recommend using the dyeing method on anything that has an additive modification with uh, epoxy. Because the epoxy is an entirely different density and everything else than the resin, and it'll take up the pigment very, very differently. Pretty much for the epoxy to get the, the, the match, you're either going to have to get uh, lucky with um, adding a pigment or use the airbrush method. Yeah. Airbrush is really great in a long run kind of way because you can get very smooth gradations of color very easily, very quickly. But if you don't have an airbrush, you can sit with pastels and very slowly try to match all the colors together. Yes, uh, this works particularly well if you have a 
a white resin with your white epoxy. Um, I'm sure epoxies come in different colors for, for um, defaults. Uh, people like to sculpt in grays and sometimes in blacks. Um, so it, it, I'm sure they're out there to use. Um, let's see. Do we have anything else? Well, there's a lot that you can be said about doing modifications. And we have, ha, only scratched the surface of it, which is oh. something you generally don't want to do oh. with dolls. Oh, okay. We went there. <laughs> and um, there's a lot that goes into this. There's a lot of people who've done a lot of work on it at this point in the hobby, which is kind of a great thing about right now. A lot of the hobby's been around long enough. We've seen what a lot of other people do. And it's all about taking it slow, a little bit at a time, and doing your research and protecting your health, which is more important than anything else, because your health, you only have that to a certain extent. And if you damage it too far, then it's very sad and upsetting, and no one wants that. But there's also things such as the process of modding joints so that different pieces of doll can be matched together. And there is the simplest sort of modification, which isn't really a modification, which is hybridization, when you take pieces from different dolls and trying to match them together, which is its own home thing, I think, at this point. We probably should talk about that sometime. Yeah, people call them like a Frankensteining the doll together. So taking a piece from A and a piece from B and you put it all together and whoopee. Yeah, and it's a really great time, really. But um, resin match can be hard. it's your doll. You paid for it. It's yours to do with as you like. And if you are ready and raring to go to make something a unique art piece just for yourself, go for it. Or find someone who will help you out. So if you have done a wonderful, beautiful modification and you'd like to tell us about some of your expert advice. And also, if we have said anything that isn't correct, and you would like to correct us, or you have some input on anything else we've been talking about today. Yes. You can email us at ningyobingo, N-I-N-G-Y-O-B-I-N-G-O, at gmail.com. Uh, we now have our beautiful, beautiful homepage at ningyobingo.com. Yes. Dot com. Um... <laughs> you're the one who've set it up <laughs> i haven't visited the page in a while all right um so we have uh, our our youtube linked there and our facebook linked there and our blogger um blogspot uh link there as well um you also can... don't forget we're on itunes you may be listening to us on itunes right now and if you leave a comment or a review we not only will you know that both me and becca have screamed at each other about it in sheer delight but we'll also say a hello to you next time that we have a podcast and say thank you. Yeah, speaking of which, I, I do have somebody to thank. Uh, I'll load that up right now. Oh, do we? Do we? I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Um, oh, my goodness. I'm like, I listeners, my arms are like, I tend to sort of throw my arms in the air when I'm particularly excited. And I'm doing that right now, but I have to be careful to not knock over my microphone. Yes, and you'll probably hear me clicking and leaning over right now, and I am sorry. Um, so uh, <laughs> Don't addition... worry about it. We're going to try to minimize anything, but I am so excited. I am so excited. Who was it? What would what, what we have? What, what happened? I, I'm, I'm what loading it? it. I'm like doing this with one hand. All right, there's our Gmail. Um, oh, goodness. Internet, be faster. I need to know who to scream at with delight and thank yous and eternal gratitude. Because um, we really, me and Becca really are doing this. 
Partially because it's an excuse for us to say hello to each other and have some chatting on a regular basis, but also because we're really hoping this is useful and entertaining for other people. And we don't know if you're enjoying it unless you say something. Yes, yeah, so our first and only fan mail, um, but very quickly, you can also find us now on Google Play and on Stitcher as well. You can also just directly download the um, RSS feed to whichever uh, podcast medium you prefer if you have something that's a podcast player. So our lovely, lovely fan mail from Samantha D. Um, she had been binged listened to all of the podcasts in 48 hours. Uh, it is beginner's love for dolls. Um, she said she's actually very looking forward to more, especially um, looking into more about full custom service. I totally understand that because it can be a little hard to understand because there's no real written guide directly on the Volks website for It also changes English. all the time. Yes, for the English one. But there's no written guide on a English website for how um, the brick and mortar full custom service works. Um, and uh, she said quite flatteringly, really this entire email could just be 200 pages of my gushing about how much I appreciate you explaining ball-jointed dolls in interesting yet easily understood segments. So thank you very and much. And there's nothing, there's nothing better than that. Yes. Um, so thank you very much, Samantha D, for your feedback. She also actually helped us me uh, figure out a little programming error that I had in my RSS feed. So thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, we should let people know what that, that problem was in case they also had experienced the same problem. I believe we had a mislink for episode two. Yes. Um, it was either episode two or episode three. It was our two parts on, uh, I think it was on the outside and on the inside of the dollhouse on our media ones. Um, so now you can oh, yes. listen to both half of those. I, I, I missed it when I was... Um, reprogramming the RSS feed when I was coming off of uh, hosting from a free hosting website and onto uh, my current owned domain. Huzzah. Um, As we slowly increase our power on the internet one step at a time. <laughs> yes. Yes. So when you're collecting your dolls or planning your new collection, your dolls might need a little bit of a resin overhaul here or there but don't worry you can do it we believe in you <laughs> <laughs> we definitely believe in you just remember to keep on collecting dolls but keep a budget 